This is Archive Atlanta, episode 221, Public Access Television. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week's mini episode is all about Atlanta's public access network, People TV, if you know that, which hosted numerous iconic shows, including the American Music Show. So before we get into People TV, let's talk a little bit about early TV and cable history. Television was invented in the early 1920s, but it wasn't really until 1938 that sets were produced and released commercially. Before 1947, only a few thousand American homes had a TV set, but that changed just five years later. As part of the post-World War II boom, by 1955, half of all American homes, so that is 12 million, had a television set. Now on that TV, you could watch four channels. From 1946 to 1956, it was ABC, CBS, NBC, and Dumont. And then from 1956 until 1986, it was the big three, ABC, CBS, and NBC. This was called broadcast television, which reached homes by transmitting signals through radio waves received by the antenna that were on the set. So what if you couldn't receive those signals? That was the case for a lot of rural America. In 1948, John Walson, who was from a small town in Pennsylvania, created cable television, a way to deliver TV programming via radio frequency. Community Antenna Television, or CATV, as it was first called, was developed in the later 40s by another Pennsylvanian, actually. And by 1950, the first commercial cable television system was ready for use. Public access television history goes back to 1968. And so I'm going to attempt to summarize a lot of history in a short amount of sentences. But really, the fight for public access TV is really fascinating. If you need a rabbit hole to get into, I recommend this one. Essentially, there's this disillusionment with commercial broadcasting. So the idea that, you know, I as the viewer have to watch things brought to us by a privately owned corporate media company. And the first experiments with non-commercial community television happened in Virginia and Wisconsin in 1968 and 1970. In 1968, the Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC, ruled that all cable channels with more than 3,500 subscribers had to have channels for local programming. In 1972, they stated that all new cable systems in the 100 largest television markets were required to have channels for government, educational purposes, and public access. Public access in this definition was construed to mean that the cable company should make available equipment and airtime so that literally anybody could make non-commercial use of this channel, say and do anything they wished on a first-come, first-served basis, subject only to obscenity and libel laws. In the fall of 1979, Atlanta City Council approved the application of Cable Atlanta to begin building a cable TV system in the city. The company was a Canadian subsidiary um, owned locally by Herman Russell, Jesse Hill, and Clay Long. Now, part of this exciting news was that because Cable Atlanta expanded, they were now legally required to provide public access television. 
New York City had a booming public access market, but they failed in making it open and democratic by providing studio space and training. And so the people in Atlanta, the activists in Atlanta, they really wanted to be able to do this right um, and making it free and available to all. It was really the work of these local activists, mainly through a group called Access Atlanta, that Cable Atlanta agreed to invest $340,000 into building five public studios, one in a central office and then four in different neighborhoods around Atlanta. Let's talk about Access Atlanta for a moment. Created in, I think, 1978-ish by Jean Potsy Duncan, Councilmember James Bond, and Ben Davis, just to name a few of the big names, it became a nonprofit organization dedicated to public access television in the city. By the summer of 1980, they touted 150 members that had each paid a $5 membership fee. Ben Davis served as the first president until someone named Char Patishal might have said that wrong, um, took over in 1981. Her reign was very short. She resigned just later that year. The group held events like something called the Cable TV and Arts Conference um, at today's Woodruff Arts Center. And it's really, really hard to overstate how revolutionary and important public access TV was in this time, especially by artists and creatives. So for me, I'm sure we all do this, right? I'm reading this, it's 2023, we have the internet, we have AI robots. Um, and so it's hard to comprehend, like, you guys are excited about a public TV? What? Um, but this was really, again, the, the stories from this, it was a really fun thing to research because people really felt that this was revolutionary. Atlanta's James Bond was the brother of Julian Bond. He was a political consultant. He was Atlanta City Councilman from 1975 to 1981. He was chair of the Access Atlanta Steering Committee, and he was on the board of the National Federation of Local Cable Programmers. That's a fraction of what he did, so I'm just talking about the kind of the early stuff. He was one of the main proponents of pushing Cable Atlanta into what they did. So they opened the first public studio in the summer of 1980 at 1044 West Peachtree Street. The second one opened in the winter that year, um, 2260 Campbellton Road. I think it's an old Pizza Hut, and I tried really hard, and I'm pretty sure that that's still the same building um, where the studio was. So by this time, 1980, 132 people had graduated from their free four-week training classes on how to produce your own TV show. Almost any and all content was allowed, with the exception of an acronym that they called LOAF. LOAF stood for no lotteries, no obscenity, no advertising, or fundraising. In 1980, the only public access show that Atlanta had was airing every Wednesday on Channel 10, and it was hosted by Cindy Cooper. Some of the first shows on Cable Atlanta were Pet Finders, where a local pet supplier named Al Davis literally just showed footage of lost pets and something that was put on by Access Atlanta. Um, I think it was called For Your Information, but it was like a weekly just kind of arts show. By 1981, we added the Black Digest News Show and the American Music Show. And so I'm going to deep dive into the American Music Show in this episode because we are in June. It is Pride Month. In a perfect world, I'd have a specific episode just for that. Um, but the American Music Show really became a queer history icon. Started in 1981 and airing until 2005. It began airing once a week for one hour, very late at night. And it was co-produced by James Bond, Dick Richard, and Patsy Duncan. Bond and Richards were co-hosts. 
So the show was first produced in Bond's basement and early reviews were not good. One article from the AJC said, quote, contains little music, but much aimless conversation between Bond and Richards, end quote, and that it was sometimes funny, but mostly, quote, boring, self-indulgent, pointless, like a group of kids bored on a Saturday afternoon, end quote. One of these early episodes was actually just an hour of the cast and crew asking each other where James Bond was until Richard puts up an old campaign poster and starts speaking to it. There was also a lot of public backlash at this point for Bond. Um, he's serving on city council. He's producing this show. There was also kind of some drama or rumors um, that he was dating Duncan and got her a position in one of the cable companies. Um, and there was a lot of discussion like, is this going to hurt his political career? And it seems like it did because he stopped um, serving on city council in this exact same year that the show started. Now, things on the show seemed to turn around because by 1982, it was called award-winning in the paper. Which awards? I do not know. Um, the show actually moved into Dick Richards' home, which is on Adolphus Street um, today, and it was produced at a cost of only $5 per week. A very young RuPaul who was living in Atlanta watched the show religiously, and he wrote a fan letter to Richards and asked to be on the show. So he ended up coming on, and that makes the American music show RuPaul's first televised appearance. Dick Richards also started the Fun Tone music label out of this house and recorded and produced RuPaul's first album. Um, there's also an episode of the show, I think it's a 1987 episode, where he and another cast member actually went to protest at a Klan rally that was happening in Cumming, Georgia. The show was like a really high camp variety hour. They also had like field trips. They would go to drag performances. They would tour uh, gay cruising trails in Piedmont Park. Um, and they would have performers. Long list. I'm going to name some of them. Um, Jane County, Lady Bunny, The Fabulous Pop-Tarts, The Now Explosion, um, The Singing Peak Sisters, LaShonda Peak, um, Lahoma Van Sant, and DJ Larry T. So if you're interested in these, the original VHS tapes of each show have been donated to Emory, so Emory has them in their archives. Um, there's also a lot of stuff on YouTube. People TV still exists today, albeit not without some recent struggle. So programming is shown on Comcast Cable Channel 24. Um, it was taken over by the city of Atlanta in 2022 because of some financial issues, but they still exist. Um, they still offer basic technical training equipment and facilities necessary to produce a non-commercial program. So individuals, organizations, and institutions in the city of Atlanta still have this access to a public access channel. So there you have it, the short story of public access television in Atlanta, People TV, and its most popular program, The American Music Show. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Share it with your friends and family if you enjoy it. Helps make it much more visible to people. There's a Patreon link in the show notes if you'd like to support the work. And I hope everyone has a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.